Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Booze, Booms and Busts. My name is Boaz Shoshan and I'm joined as ever by Sam Volkering. Now Sam, you're going to have to help me out with this podcast because I've actually been on holiday this week. So I've been deliberately avoiding uh, the, the mainstream news and the financial press as, as much as I can. Uh, but I'm sure we can, uh, we've, we've quite a few things to discuss. I do have one one. A topic I can bring to the table, uh, but this week uh, I think it'll be mostly you that's bringing uh, bring the topics to discuss. So uh, as ever, this is the podcast for discussing uh, financial uh, market stories and at the same time rating beer in our very complex uh, credit <laughs> rating system. Uh, but Sam, how are you getting on? And uh, what should we start with? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm well this week. Thanks for asking. Um, as you say, you you've been off grid. It's 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 been lonely without you. Uh, sending <laughs> through exciting, funny, uh, crazy links from the financial world and everything in and around it. So I'll do my best to bring something interesting to the table. I do I do have an absolute gem that hit my inbox about 15 minutes ago, um, which which we'll talk about. But um, yeah, uh, in terms of the beers today, we, we're going a little off-piste, so to speak, yeah. with uh, what we're doing. We've got one beer that we uh, have the same that we're going to talk about second, but um, we've got different ones to start off with. So technically, we're doing a three-beer review today. Um, the one I am drinking to start off with is a Forward Hazy Double IPA. It's it's, it's, I don't know what forward hazy means. I know what a hazy IPA is, but a forward hazy IPA has lost me on that. And it's called Untitled Art. Um, from I don't, I don't even know where it's from um, because maybe Untitled Art is the brewery and I don't really know what the beer is called. It's quite strange. It's, it's got some, some, some text on it that is not English and thus I have no idea what the hell it's called. Oh, so where did you get this one? I don't even know. I it came. I just. I. I didn't. I can't even remember ordering it. To be honest with you, it may have even just been something that was thrown in to the last beer order we did. Um, I was going to suggest you'd made it yourself, mate. <laughs> I tell you what, I'd be really proud if I made this. The can is delightful. It's it's got a piece of artwork on it. Now that I can tell you that the artist that did the artwork on this can is Noel Miller. Uh, that that much it says. The rest is 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 very unknown to me, and maybe that's a sort of a hallmark of un, the Untitled Art. If it's if it's even a brewery, but I think which I think it says brewed and canned by Untitled Art. So I'm assuming they're a brewery, and maybe that's their thing is that they post or that they put pictures on their cans of artists that perhaps have Untitled Art. I don't really know what what's going on here, but it's an eight percent forward hazy IPA that uh, I'm much looking forward to drinking. Yeah, that's uh, it's quite funny that because the one that I've got, which you have not got, is one called Unconventional Tactics, and it does sort of uh, follow on with the with the unconventional side. But this is also eight percent. It's not a forward hazy IPA; it's a double IPA. But similarly, it has a very nice piece of artwork on the front, and it looks like uh, this particular series of beers has been created in order to promote. Um, artwork from different uh, from you know from different artists so this one actually is it's verdant brewing which we've had several of before yeah, yep. however the most prominent logo is actually that for cornish creatives uh, you know to, to promote this uh, this artist's work now very cool very cool label on this one it's got a uh, sort of a 
samurai chick meditating with uh, you know a fish i think it's underwater fish sort of swimming underneath and the uh, the main thing sort of the first thing that you see on the can when you're looking at it, it's cornish creatives and it's and it's actually made by sonia hensler who is an illustrator based near falmouth her work veers erratically between the erotic fantastic Ooh. and fashionable oh so, hello yeah, we're covering off all the bases there, I must say. All, all, all things that you just mentioned there are, are things that I am not. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, that is the perfect thing to, uh, to have on the podcast. You know, we're going we're to cover off all, all sides, all aspects of uh, both, the, both the beers, the markets, and, and even, the, even the host. Even a bit of, even a bit of, a bit of can erotica. Um, I actually now you mentioned what was the name of it again? Unconventional tactics. Unconventional tactics. Yeah. Now, so have I, I got it. have I got something for you about unconventional tactics? So just before we kicked off today's recording, uh, I noticed there was a bit of a bit of hoo ha, a bit of brouhaha on Twitter regarding the Nikola Car Company. Now, oh. the Nikola is the EV, the electric vehicle car company that many purport to be the, the Tesla killer um, and the it's Tesla, you know, yeah. arrived on the market via the SPAC reverse takeover method, which in its own right has generated a lot of hype, the SPAC investing. But the unconventional tactics that I'm talking about are the, so you wouldn't have seen this, or you might've seen this, Buzz, if you've been on Twitter in the last 20 minutes, but there's a research organization that you might be familiar with called Hindenburg Research. Rings and they have put out what is amounting to a massive hit piece on oh, Tesla. Wow. And they've been shorting that sucker for days. And this hit piece is, is just astonishing. I want to, let me just, let me read the title of this hit piece. It's called Nicola how to parlay an ocean of lies into a partnership with the largest auto OEM in America. And then the very first dot point of the summary of what is, what is literally one of the longest form pieces of copy. It's longer form than some of the promotions that we do at South Bank Research. But the very first dot point says, today we reveal why we believe Nikola is an intricate fraud built on dozens of lies over the course of its founder and chief executive chairman, Trevor Milton's career. Damn. That, Damn. that is like, if you wanted to put out something that captures the attention, that just smacks you in the face and says, read me. So after this podcast, I'm going to sit down with more beer and read the whole thing because that's that's some unconventional tactics. You you go and short the shit out of a out of a of a very well known, you know, a lot of hype behind Nikola, a lot of interest in the traders around Nikola's stock. They've been shorting this, clearly shorting this. And they even say uh, on that report, if I can find it, they even say in their disclaimer, after extensive research, we have taken a short position in the shares of Nikola Core. So they've they've gone and taken a big short position in this, and then just released this smash piece where they just basically accuse everything that Nicola's done and Trevor Milton's done as being just lies and fraud. Mm. Bosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so they, they are very, they're open with uh, who they are and in terms of the, the organization who's actually running it or is it, or is it done anonymously? 
Because like, some um, of these uh, hit pieces you get like that, they're uh, they're very you know they're very uh, protective of their own identity, and some of that's understandable, you know, because some companies can really and some executives can really go after short sellers quite aggressively with private detectives and the like. Uh, yeah, or yeah. but do they do they reveal themselves? Uh, it 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 doesn't appear to. It's there. There's no there's no byline of a particular author. Um, it is published on the Hindenburg Research website. Right under Hindenburg's About Us, uh, it does name the founder of, of Hindenburg is a guy called Nate Anderson. Um, it's a but, good name for a short selling firm. <laughs> yeah, but who, 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 who actually put it together, I don't know, but interesting. So um, Martin, uh, Martin, uh, Trevor um, Milton on Twitter responded very, very quickly once the piece came out because they would have seen the rising number of short positions uh, in the company right over the last few days. But he's come up uh, just within the last hour and said that they're preparing a response to all these lies and then questioned them with the, this is all you've got question mark. So, you know, it's um, this is, this is going to be, this is going to play out publicly and, and someone's getting sued. On, on one side of this, if, if this if this report from Hindenburg is right and a lot of the stuff they say is true, uh, then there's going to be class action lawsuits coming for Nicola and for Trevor Milton and, and there's, there's gonna, this is going to blow up. But if a lot of the stuff that Hindenburg says is false uh, and proves to be inaccurate, then Milton and Nicola, they're going to prepare their own lawsuits, right? So someone's getting sued in this situation. Mm. But what I will point out as well is that when you actually look at the uh, Nicola stock, off the back of this so the, the sort of the the, the the few days history behind this was that on uh i was on friday i think it was or after market on friday gm announced that they were going to buy into nicola um and so a lot of this report which i think they've probably done a bit of research on in the past but then this whole gm deal has really sort of lit the fire under it um that they're saying that that Tesla's uh, Tesla that Nikola's uh, battery technology doesn't work, and hence the buy-in from GM is just going to use GM's battery technology. But anyway, the announcement that GM was buying in sent Nikola's stock price from like there was, it was a low trading low of like thirty-three dollars on Friday, and then on Tuesday, because obviously Monday was a I think it was Labor Day public holiday in the US, uh, but on Tuesday Nikola's stock price went up to about a peak of fifty-four dollars. And it's just crashed since then. Big short positions taken up uh, and then down to like back down to like 30, 38, $39 today. So it's an unconventional tactic in terms of they've had a big short position building up. The GM announcements come out, whether they got wind that that was coming and they took their short positions once that had gone up. But I guarantee you Hindenburg's made a shitload of cash on Nikola uh, today and yesterday by shorting it off the, off the back of this GM announcement. So it's crazy town out there, man. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. I would say, I mean, you say it is an unconventional tactic to do it. I mean, there, when it comes to major short sellers, uh, you know, the ones who really can, who are very well respected by the market and who yeah. really can uh, sort of move the market or, or at least uh, influence uh, market perception, you know, can grab a few headlines. It isn't too unconventional, I don't think, for a short position to be taken and for the um, for, for said short seller to talk their book, you know, to reveal their short and to say, this is why after the fact. I mean, you do see that uh, every now and then, uh, but it does seem 
Um, you know, it, it's generally more common for somebody who's buying a stock, they'll buy the stock first, and then they'll go on TV and say why that they're, they're, why they bought it. Uh, it's just with short selling, it's often sort of done in, in uh, it's effectively the same dynamic, but in reverse, where you, you're shorting the stock, and then you go public and say why you're shorting it. Um, but you know, it is, uh, with short selling, because of the nature of the game, it is, you know, it's, it's pretty risky to be going out there and saying you're shorting stock. I mean, there are so many, so, so many examples of, uh, of companies, they, you know, the, the PR department really doesn't like that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be watching this, uh, I'll be watching that, uh, with, uh, with some, with quite some interest and see how that's resolved. It doesn't seem like there's any peaceful or amenable way that that could, uh, could work itself out, right? Well, if you're if you're Tesla, right? If you're Elon Musk and you're watching this play out, you must literally just be like kicking back, crack a beer, grab some popcorn, and just you know this you know this is the kind of stuff that makes a guy like Elon Musk just laugh, I reckon, because you know Tesla or well, Nikola's stocks getting crashed today, um, you know seven eight percent at the moment. Uh, you know what's the Tesla stock? The Tesla stock price is just like up it's bounced like another 6% after like another 10% yesterday. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's like EV, EV wars are playing out, man. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. What is with EVs and this, this stuff, right? Because allegations of fraud, allegations of, you know, inside dealing, uh, you know, funding from gray, sort of gray market areas, <laughs> sort of official, yeah. but sort of not. I mean, the, the, all of this stuff you see with, many of these EV companies. Uh, it is interesting that Nikola is now getting, getting the, sort of the, the brunt of this. Uh, we, you know, with both Nikola and with Tesla, you know, it's quite confusing to be sort of speaking about them both at the same time. I know, right? <laughs> you, just want to, you just want to come out and just say Nikola Tesla and then he's like, well, hang on, I'm talking about two different companies. Yeah, yeah. We, well, we, you know, those, they're showing off products on stage which are not, yeah. they don't actually meet the promises that they say that you know they can't do the things that they say they can do. You're not referencing a uh, truck window that can be smashed by any chance, as well, are you? <laughs> well, quite, quite possibly, Sam. Quite possibly, but I mean, it does go beyond that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny. What when you look at everything that's going on, and you look at these two companies, uh, Trevor Milton's just like Elon Musk, maybe a little bit more watered down, um, but he's he's a he's a bit he's a bit nuts too, right? I and, guess you got to be to do that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I suppose you do. I mean, to try and disrupt an entire market, you've got to be a little bit nuts um, because you've got to push the envelope and start to sort of look at things that, you know, the, the, the incumbents just don't do. They don't look at and, and And you've got to be prepared to cop the flack for it. And, geez, I tell you what, Elon Musk cops flack for everything he does, whether it's good or bad or otherwise. Mm. Milton's getting the same now. He's he's put himself up there. He's put himself in the in the spotlight with all this and with his promises and with what you know he believes Nicola can do. So, you know, good luck to him. I hope. You know, it's, it's funny those sorts of these sorts of hit pieces. There's an element of truth to them, and there's a, there's plenty going on in Tesla as well, right? That is sort of probably dubious. And when you get to a certain size as a company, you know, it's 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 it gets increasingly difficult to ensure that all the practices of every employee that you have in every factory and every, you know, operating center around the world is, is doing a hundred percent the right thing. You know, even with a company, so a company like Amazon as well, right. You know, it's employees what, millions of people around the world. 
Um, and if you factor in contractors and all that as well, you know, well in excess of millions of people around the world and not, you know, they, they get slated for some of their, you know, workplace employment practices and whatnot. And, and it's still, the company still serves uh, a great, uh, I guess, input to the world in terms of it, you know, those people that it employs are employed. You know, I don't know what else they would be doing. Perhaps if Amazon wasn't around, maybe they'd have other jobs, you know, with some other company, but, but maybe not. Right. And so there is usually a net benefit when these companies do these sorts of, you know, real game changing, world changing, uh, industry changing moves and become these big companies. But at the same time, you know, they've got to ensure that there's some sort of quality control about what they're doing and who they're doing it to and how they're going about it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, uh, I agree that with, with large companies, there is the, you know, it's an inevitable thing. You know, the, if you go to sort of C-suite level human resources, yeah. uh, yeah, the, the, they will all say that this is a, this is a problem that always has to be dealt with. Every major company is going to have an issue with, uh, you know, a certain percentage almost. Um, I'm not sure. I've never heard a specific percentage, but there's always an expected amount of uh, sort of employee and misbehavior or yeah. criminal or otherwise the issue with uh, tesla and why I, I would probably take a different view when it comes to comparing someone tesla and amazon the accusations at tesla uh, are you know the from from those who would you know who would short it and would say the whole thing is uh, you know big stack of cards you know big uh, sort of a house of cards is that this all this goes all the way to the very top you know this yeah. is all being enabled and you know, uh, people are following the leader's behavior, right? They are followed. The, you know, Elon Musk is leading by example, and by leading by example, he is empowering some of the worst kinds of behavior all that, the way. That, that sounds like Uber, right? Uh, well, well, we're got, we're kind of going through all of the all the unicorns. <laughs> but, uh, yes, I mean, you could you could say, I mean, the, those same accusations have been le- have been leveled at Travis Kalanick. Yes, um, I, it's just the. With, that, with Amazon, I mean, yeah, we are talking millions, but in terms of actual uh, criminal behavior all the way through the very top, I've not seen that kind of thing leveled at Bezos. In any no, that's true. That's way true. Thing is level at Musk. I, you know, I'd, I've, I've seen uh, some very disturbing stuff from uh, when it comes to uh, the Tesla factories and uh, the way that employees have been treated when it comes to uh, things like healthcare, you know, people uh, not, yeah. uh, you know, there was one, there was one terrible story so a while back with, uh, uh, pregnant women, in, you know, at Tesla factories, not being actually told about uh, some of the noxious gases that they mm. could be inhaling while they're on that, you know, you know, all deliberately or perhaps even deliberately not being told uh, of the the risks that you know mm. that were there in the workplace. That, I mean, that there's things like that that really make me think this is you know that there is something really go, going wrong here. When from uh, organizational level, we're talking management level, uh, you know. That this company is not taking care of its employees uh, because they are all about the bottom line and they're chasing the bottom line because if they don't if they can't raise that by some degree they're going to get bust uh, that yeah. that's the sort of thing that really gives me the willies when it comes to tesla things with amazon yes the yeah there are similar similar well not, well no there aren't similar claims made that i've seen about the, the way they treat their employees and their contractors um but with tesla because the company itself is all wrapped it is so, so much a cult of personality around Musk and the entire way the business is run. I don't see that in the, I don't think Amazon's wound up that way in quite the same way. Yes, there's still no, a true. adoration for Bezos, but he also stays, he deliberately stays away actually from a lot of the executive 
level management to let the business all run itself so that he doesn't end up micromanaging things. Um, but you know, this is, uh, you know, it, what is with the EV sector when you've got both Nikola and you've got Tesla getting this stuff? I, mean, I was thinking there was, uh, you know, can you imagine if there was a merger and it just becomes Nikola Tesla Motors? Oh, that'd be sweet, actually, because that'd make it a lot easier to talk about them. Yeah, because <laughs> you can just be talking about Nikola Tesla, right? But I mean, the other and what what I like about what's happening in the EV market is from a consumer point of view, right? This is this is wicked because you want this. You want companies trying to shoot down another company and take them down and delivering a better product or trying to deliver a better product. And so now you've got Nikola going after Tesla and you've got Lucid going after Tesla and you've got Neo trying to get their own niche going. And now you've got Volkswagen with their whole ID range. And so like even with that, right? So Volkswagen, do you know why they call the ID3 the ID3, which is their sort of new all EV vehicle? I do not go on. So the Volkswagen Beetle was the first people's car, uh, and it went on to you know great success around the world. The Volkswagen Beetle is one of the most iconic automobiles ever manufactured, but regardless, of, <laughs> regardless of its Nazi heritage. Um, and then the second was the Volkswagen Golf. And the Volkswagen Golf has been one of the most successful and influential vehicles of uh, arguably the, the modern car world. Um, it's gone on to sell literally millions of, of, of Volkswagen Golfs. And th this is why they call the new uh, EV and the new EV platform the ID3, because they see it as the third people's car. And so you've got this giant global conglomerate Volkswagen, which I will just point out has a smaller market cap than Tesla. Nonetheless, they have a much wider reach, produce a lot more cars and hit many more markets than Tesla do. And so this ID3 is the third people's car. And so you've got Volkswagen with this, with this idea of a whole new people's car that they aim to have as successful and influential on the next generation of automobile owners as, as the, the Beetle and the Golf before it. I mean, that's astonishing that, 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 you know, that people have ignored that that's happening along with all these other competitors to the market. The good news is, is that if you're gonna buy a car in the next five years, you're gonna have so much choice from great all electric, really high tech, modern connected cars that are affordable. Um, and, you know, I love seeing this shit play out in the market because it just means that we're not going to have, you know, a, a bunch of EVs that are all 50, 60, 70,000 pounds to get into. We're going to have some affordable, great looking, great functioning uh, electric vehicles that, it, to be honest, are, are better to maintain. They have better performance. They're more comfortable. Uh, there's a lot less moving parts. There's, you know, there's a lot to, to about the EV as just a, you know, better car than a, than a in, internal combustion engine. And so this is just making it, you know, consumer choice is going to be sweet for the next few years on this. So I kind of like it from that perspective as well. Yeah. I mean, provided it's making these companies more, uh, more effective, uh, more competitive. Uh, and at the same time, as long as it's making them more accountable, I think that's yeah. something, uh, that's something to be, that's something uh, that's definitely a, a net positive. I, you, you just hope that, uh, you know, it, what it doesn't lead to is it just, if, it, if, it, if there is fraud, it doesn't lead to more fraud and more papering over it 
and more uh, capital being allocated to corporate espionage, silencing whistleblowers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, like it, on the on definitely from the outset, I, I do want it is it, the thing with EVs though. You know, we have been talking this Nikola. We've been talking about Nikola. We've been talking about Tesla. Uh, you know, I, in a way, I hope that uh, the with Nikola that you know the that uh, the allegations aren't aren't you know what they are because I, I was actually I thought the uh, the Nikola Badger was actually a pretty cool pickup truck. Oh, the I'm problem, with you. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, if, if there's fraud, then uh, they're definitely all, all more power to the short sellers for right. shorting stock and then uh, and then rooting it out. Because and they are effectively, um, short sellers in general, I have a huge amount of respect for. I mean, yeah. they are effectively self-employed policemen. I mean, they're it's just, ballsy. You know, if they're hunting out, they're hunting out fraud uh, and then being paid for it from their own research, right? So uh, like in, in a way that they are, um, you know, sort of they're, they're moral bloodhounds in a way. They're, I mean, there's something. <laughs> Yeah. There's some short sales for what they've got to take in terms of uh, the heat that they get from these companies where, when it comes to, because people who commit fraud, right? They're, they're very happy to, uh, to break the law and trying yeah. to intimidate people and all manner of things. So, and keep uh, committing fraud. Once they commit fraud once, they're happy to keep doing it. That, hop, that happens quite a lot. I mean, the, the, yeah. there was the whole Theranos um, saga, right? You know, Theranos had big deals and, and were announcing big moves with a lot of major, you know, global corporations that were reputable and all that. And Theranos proved out to be a massive bloody fraud as well, right? So yeah. and these things do happen. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's um, if, if you're one of the guys uh, shorting it, right? So if you're actually finding the fraud, finding the evidence of the fraud, uh, you know, by all means, short, short the stock and then tell everybody about it. I have no problem with people doing that whatsoever. Uh, because like I say, I mean, this is it's effective self-employed police work and provided you're telling the public about it and making the public more account, you know, making the company more accountable to the public, uh, then I, I think that's completely fine. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see how all this stuff turns out. Uh, but I'm almost finished. Uh, this first beer, Sam, can you, As you, sure, do you want to give a rating? Mm -hmm. So the beer, I have no idea what it's called, but by the untitled art, art brewery, I'll have to go back through my order, um, uh, emails Discovery, yeah. and figure out what the hell this is actually called. Um, nonetheless, this, this, this 8% forward hazy, and I say it's a double IPA, but it actually on the can, it says I IPA. So I'm just assuming it's a double IPA, but it's I IPA. Um, IPA, right. Yeah. This was really good. Really good. I've, I've had some, uh, some sort of hazy double IPAs before. Maybe it's the forward part that's, that's made it quite enjoyable. Um, it, 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 it certainly feels and tastes like it's a, a, a strong 8%. Um, beer but doesn't sit in the gut with that heavy feeling it just sort of tastes it but you don't feel that um, it's difficult or heavy to drink it's quite smooth um, and, uh, and and what you'd expect from from this kind of uh, double IPA so I'm I'm very impressed believe it or not by the beer with no name by Untitled Art that's a forward, which I have no idea what that means, Hazy IPA. So one of the most confusing beers I've ever actually opened thus far in our 14 episodes, I found to be excellent. And I am going to give this, drum roll, a double B plus. Oh, <laughs> Good Lord. Double it B. Has not, it has not achieved the triple B rating, but that is pretty damn close. Uh, indeed, Sam. I'm quite... Uh... Yeah, it's uh, 
It's great that you found such a beer. Sadly, I was not. I can't, I couldn't enjoy it as well. And it's somewhat frustrating that we don't actually know what it is. You know, if anyone <laughs> yeah. wanted to, anyone listening to this actually wanted to seek this out and try it themselves. I mean, they're they're going to have a real task on their hands. They might even find, you know, they might end up with some different untitled love beer that is not a double B plus and is actually, you know, a, a triple A minus. In fact, they're but, just uh, going to have to keep an eye on our Twitter page for me yeah. to reveal the actual name of this strangely unknown beer. You should take a photo of it uh, and post it. so people. I will. Know. I will do that as well. Uh, for the unconventional tactics uh, that I had, uh, I was similarly quite impressed. Uh, this is Verdant Brewing, as, uh, as previously described. 8% does not taste 8%. Uh, definitely tastes lower than that. Uh, very nice and smooth. Nothing crazy when it comes to the flavor. Uh, you know, it does taste like uh, very much, yeah, very much what it what it is. Not too heavy either. Uh, so yeah, I would say this is uh, oh, a very good beer, and uh, very nice label as well, which is always a bonus point. I would give this a. I think I'm going to give this a B minus, which is which is good, very fine indeed. Nothing exceptional, but very good, and uh, it doesn't taste its strength either, which is always a always a positive. Now, coming on to our next one, we are now drinking the same beer for our, our second beer, which is Nine Bars. And this is another double IPA. However, this one is made by Napa Beer, which is a different brewery. Uh, I don't think we've even had any Napa beer, uh, before on this podcast. I think I may have had maybe one or two from them a long time ago in the past, but nothing that I, uh, that I remember particularly well. Another 8% beer. So all of the beers we've consumed in episode 14 are 8%. So uh, yeah, this looks uh, pretty interesting. Uh, this has not been made in the UK. Uh, it's looking like, uh, yeah, but I don't see a specific country of origin. Yeah. However, it does have a very interesting, uh, very interesting label. And it's, oh, it's actually, in fact, a collaboration with Whiplash Brewery, which is a brewery I'm not familiar with. But Sam, have you, uh, have you given this a sip yet? Uh, I, 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 people may have heard, I just opened mine and uh, I've just been going through the process of it frothing up and out of the can and spilling <laughs> all over my shorts, my desk, uh, my coaster. So I haven't had a chance to, well, I've kind of had a chance to sip it because I've tried to catch all the, all the froth coming at the top. So it didn't spill everywhere, but I haven't had a chance to actually properly drink any yet um so maybe you can give me your first impressions before i get stuck into it i'll uh, i'll give it a quick sip <laughs> it is it is like i do like the label though it's some sort of like is it like a roman roman it looks like a roman senator or maybe senator a that's the word i was looking for yeah 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 nice big beard mustache curly hair uh and there's all these uh, bars i suppose nine nine Isn't of there's them. nine of them <laughs> Yeah, they are uh, sort of levitating at his will uh, with some sort of star or, or sun-like insignia in the background, so from the horizon. Yeah, it tastes, uh, it tastes quite interesting. Uh, to me, it tastes a bit like, um, almost a bit like a Saison, uh, but then yeah, a bit, uh, so it's like a mix between a Saison and then a Belgian double, if that makes any sense. Uh, so very nice, does not taste 8%. Uh, another, another, another strength here. Uh, quite, uh, mm. yeah, very, it's almost light. It's almost light. Uh, you know, it's uh, definitely light in color and it's almost, yeah, it's relatively see-through. So it's not too hazy either. That, quite- uh, that definitely has a bit of the Belgian feel to it. Like you say, like that, that Belgian double, it's, it, it, it's almost, 
yeah, it's it's definitely got that that taste to it. I'm not quite sure how to, how to describe it, but you're right. It doesn't, and on the on the first sort of few drinks, it doesn't sound like, uh, or doesn't sound, doesn't taste like an, an eight percenter. So I'm quite interested no. it's, uh, to to continue on and see how this progresses as we go on. Yeah. Um, now, having having said that, speaking of nine bars, um, this could be the worst segue of all time. No, but you, you were mentioning you were mentioning earlier uh, that. Actually, there's no segue at all. I, I'm not even sure how we're going to start bringing this <laughs> Just up. Just ditch but, the segue, mate. But we was ditch the segue. Segue's gone. There's nothing. This has nothing to do with nine bars at all. Um, but you were talking about uh, something that David Beckham uh, has been doing in oh, an yeah. area yeah. of interest that I'm very. I, I'm all over this 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 stuff, and I love this this topic that we're going to talk about. Right, right, um, yeah. So, um, so I uh, I have I have been staying away from the uh, staying away from the. <laughs> The, the the news I've been hiding away in a in a center parks resort somewhere in the UK. I love. Uh, hang on, just before you keep going, I love the way you describe center parks as a resort. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> it's great. So it's a proper proper refuge from civilization in a lot of ways. I think That's, right now the word refuge is the best best terminology for something like that. Just to get away from the, the <laughs> yeah, but finding somewhere in the forest that you can live. Yeah. Uh, yeah very appealing you know i was actually telling uh telling a couple of relatives of mine recently that i um uh, i i know of a guy i'm connected with a guy uh who uh seeing a recession is, was coming in in the u.s uh for all manner of factors is probably probably a discussion for another time sold his house mm-hmm. and uh, as far as i know because i'm not i don't stay in touch with him a huge amount but as far as i know he is still he's just been living in a holiday resort in the states you know on a wow. per- basis really uh, yeah he just lives there like, wow. he just lives there. i was wondering you know, is there anyone in the uk that's just sold their house <laughs> and it's living on center parks just perpetually I how long do you reckon you could do that for yeah exactly i mean what it provided you keep paying the rent i mean how long i mean would they just keep taking your money i mean yeah you just keep booking or could you could you book could you book like could you book a, it's, a, it's a bit like booking a one-way ticket but a one-way ticket to center parks yeah, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I'm sure if I'm sure if you had a good relationship with uh, a you know a customer relations manager, they'd be able to figure something out. I doubt the mechanism is there. Certainly not through the website. If you wanted to, do. <laughs> but, yeah. but, no. I, as I was saying, I've been I've been staying away from uh, from most of the news. However, my my girlfriend actually informed me recently uh, on a, on a story that uh, well, it was actually you know, just a couple of days ago. Uh, about a story that uh, I would be interested in, and she was telling me how uh, David Beckham is now uh, leading the charge to take an esports company public on the London Stock Exchange, which I found Ooh. quite. You know, and uh, you know, I was very grateful she brought brought the story up with me. It was not something; it was something completely slipped me in the past. And um, it was a very interesting. Uh, I mean, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be David Beckham, I suppose. But it was interesting to see that someone's wanting to take it public on the LSE because the LSE of course is not the same you know it's not the uh, the AIM it's not the alternative investment market if you really want to take something um you know want taking esports that kind of niche public most of the time when that has happened uh correct do correct me if I'm wrong saying but has that not happened in Canada and Australia you know going yep. for, the, for the Toronto and the Aussie stock exchanges instead when yes. you're looking for that kind of speculative venture. So I found, it, I found it interesting that somebody that, you know, there is an ambition to take something public in London, uh, as there is an awful lot of prestige that is attributed to uh, the London Stock Exchange, uh, ra- you know, uh, rather than one of these more um, 
something more associated with uh, smaller niche uh, speculative uh, you know speculative uh, ventures because of course you know the administration fees if you do want to list on in the on the LSE and you want to stay listed on the LSE are extraordinarily high. I remember yeah. a uh, you know uh, a teacher of mine uh, many years ago tell me how I think it was uh, what was it? it was it was his favorite football club it was one of these London ones I don't follow football so do forgive me I, I don't I don't actually recall the football club but how it used to be listed on the uh, on the London Stock Exchange uh, and you know the guy still has a share certificate framed in his in his study <laughs> back at home uh, but you know the, the football club it was costing them a million quid a year yeah. to remain listed on the LSE and this was yeah. just too high a cost so they didn't want to do it anymore uh, so I find it interesting that somebody wants to take uh, something that is still seen as um, what would be the best word for it? Something still seen as niche. Well, sort of a niche venture yeah. like esports uh, to the London Stock Exchange. Uh, I find that quite interesting. And you know, you and I both agree that esports is not something that's going to go away anytime. Probably something that's going to become much larger than it is now. So maybe this is a signal that things are getting more mainstream. Have you heard the story? And what, what do you make of it? I haven't, I haven't heard this story. I, I've, I've literally just uh, had a quick flick around to see what I could find and ESPN covered it yesterday. So it's pretty new, obviously, the announcement to do so. But it looks like it's going to happen, right? They're not talking about David Beckham may look to list uh, his esports team which or, or esports organization, whatever it is. It's called Guild Esports, apparently. Right. Um, they're, they're talking about this is, this is going to happen. Um, and apparently it only launched in June, this, this guild esports team, uh, or organization. And, and so according to ESPN, let, I'll, I'll read out what ESPN says, guild esports launched in June and it intends to field teams to compete in four global online games, Fortnite, Counter-Strike Global Offensive, Rocket League and FIFA. Mm. So, I mean, this is, this is crazy, right? I'm not, well, crazy, crazy in a good way because you're right. So esports is one of those areas that people still don't quite get. And I think that's because we haven't quite reached that generational tip over point where uh, playing video games for a living is seen to be something that, that is, that is actually a sport. Now I, I say that sort of facetiously playing video games for a living, because that's kind of the view that people have about esports. It's like uh, playing, you know, you can't make money playing video games or get outside and play a real sport, you know, that kind of nonsense. But you know, when we talk about video games and, and, and gaming and, and online and esports and all that sort of thing, this is a huge, 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 multi, multi-billion dollar industry. And people just don't quite get that distinction between playing video games as, you know, like on the PlayStation and then actual the professional nature of how those sorts of things, you know, relate to, to profit making and to companies, you know, generating revenues and income and, and all those sorts of things. So, I think that that tipping point is probably a time thing, right? As I think that once we sort of move from the boomer generation being the wealth holders to as morbid as this might sound, boomers not 
being a generation that live anymore <laughs> is that that's when esports is really going to take that sort of hockey stick inflection point and take off. It's just because it's a generational understanding thing. And I think it's hard for a lot of people to get their head around the fact that esports can be this genuine con contribution to economies and, and even a, a professional sports thing. You know, you look at, you look at stuff like the NBA or the NFL or the Premier League and you, you, you realize the Premier League, for example, how significant a contributor that is to the British economy. It's, it's huge. It's, it's across everything from, um, you know, tourism, like, like just people, people come to England to literally go and watch Premier League games. Um, and th so there's ancillary flow on effects from that into, you know, hospitality and all those sorts of other industries. And then there's obviously the television revenues and the advertising revenues. Um, you know, th there's a reason that most Premier League clubs have got sports betting um, sponsorship on their tops. All these sorts of ancillary industries that benefit from a major global sport, that's going to transit, not, not necessarily transition, but esports is going to join that echelon of sports like Premier League, like the NBA, like the NFL. So we'll be talking about it at that same level. So you'll be talking about advertising. You'll be talking about people traveling to um, places like America or, or the UK or, or Asia to go specifically to see an esports event. And then all the ancillary benefits they bring with that from hospitality and tourism to, you know, all these other travel leisure, all these other sorts of things that then piggyback off those kinds of things. So esports in itself, it gets a bit of a bum rap, but the impact that it's going to have long-term, I don't think is denied. I don't think you could deny it as an investor that this is a serious, serious opportunity. And when you look at something like, you know, a name like Beckham that brings an esports team to the market, I have no doubt there's going to be hype. There's going to be FOMO behind this. And it's probably going to do some sort of crazy IPO debut on the market as the Robin Hood traders um, pile into this thing. It's not the first esports company to, to, to go to market, you know, esports mogul over in Australia on the ASX did so. Um, but it's, it's a sign of the times, man. And this is, this is the way that the world progresses. This is the way that things change. This is the way that markets progress. And I think if you're an investor, you've just got to look at this and go, okay, you know, you, you look at the fundamentals and see if this thing actually has legs behind it. But at the same time, you've got to look at it and say, this is a signal that there's a bigger trend, uh, you know, unraveling before our eyes here. And, and, and I think this is, this is great. I think this is exactly what esports needs is a name like him to take it to a publicly listed market in London, big, big market. Uh, and, and say, you know, we're a legit thing. Esports is a legit industry and a legit opportunity. Yeah, it will be very interesting to see if Beckham role, you know, so plays a role uh, as a missionary figure in making this a bit more mainstream. I've certainly not heard, do correct me if I'm wrong, but I've not heard of existing sort of sporting superstars uh, going to an esports team and, you know, either investing majorly or uh, sort of in repping the industry to some degree, you know. So well, LeBron James, right? He owns esports team. A lot of M a lot of NBA guys own es uh, esports teams. Lot, right? Lot. Well, uh, well, then uh, I I stand corrected. It, but with taking one public like that, I've not heard of that kind of relationship existing yeah, uh, like when that. it comes to uh, you know 
we're, we're going to try and make this thing, you know, make this thing public. The thing uh, I do agree with uh, the perception, that perception issue with uh, uh, video games being obviously a uh, hugely, hugely lucrative industry now. Mm. And uh, there being a, a massive lack of sort of investor participation, certainly uh, from, uh, you know, uh, from the, from the, uh, you know the the active investor side is something that's still seen as a uh, not even a niche, but it's just seen as something that isn't as significant as it actually is. Now, whether or not you know, now, I, I totally agree. This is a a great opportunity that uh, that that perception of video games being not as significant as they are is something that over time, as video games will just become more and more prevalent and more and more influential, you know, that will become yeah, you know, this this should, this will be reflected somehow in the market, and I do agree that that uh, that perception mismatch exists, and it should be a a big opportunity for investors. The one counterpoint I would add to that is I think the people within that community, in terms of the actual directors and executives within the industry, are at least somewhat aware of the fact that that perception mismatch exists. And as a result, they deliberately are not taking their businesses public because they think they'll get a paltry price for them. So, for example, I think uh, Rockstar Games is probably why, uh, if, you know, if there were any video game stock I would ever want to buy, I'd want to own equity in Rockstar because they are simply exceptional when it comes to their management and their execution when it comes to you know, creating great games that make a huge amount of money. This is a company that is uh, completely content to take years uh, you know, ahead of time in development to develop a very good game. You know, they're, they're very happy to just, you know, uh, you know they, they don't want to rush things very much. They're very happy to give delays when there are delays. Uh, and then in order to make a greater payday when it comes to it, they're very uh, in tune with the player, with what the player actually wants when it comes to microtransactions, uh, bundles, add-ons, all that kind of thing. Uh, and But of course, but they deliberately, and very deliberately, in my view, considering the size of the company now, they never, they've never gone public. They're not interested yeah. in going public. They keep yeah. it all to themselves, privately to themselves, because they know if they did go public, you would now have an external shareholder who would start trying to change the way that they make these games. Yeah. Which, which in a way, so uh, which I completely respect. I mean, you were, I think we discussed uh, Ubisoft in a previous yeah. podcast. That's right. And the manner in which that that company has just been devoured by foreign, well, not foreign <laughs> it's investment, been bastardized foreign. by uh, by uh, the uh, investment private equity, yeah, private equity, yeah, yeah. So like just by allowing uh, you know external investors, you know, foreign investors, foreign to the industry at least, to uh, to start dictating demands, you know, well, making demands, sorry, uh, of of the company that leads to lower returns. It ends up sort of um, sort of diluting the the business ultimately. Uh, so I wonder whether or not, you know, it, it's you, if you do want to actually make an investment in that publicly, you know, public investment in it, within a stock, you need to really make sure that, uh, you know, the business itself is not being diluted by the whims of shareholders and yeah. that the original spirit of the business, which makes all the money ultimately and creates all the value is still there. Uh, so, but it'll be very interesting to see how, uh, how Beckham and his, you know, <laughs> The guild guild is a great name for 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 such a for such a venture. It'll be very interesting to see how that all turns out. Yeah, but it, I think it's great that uh, there will be an esports uh, you know, company on the LSE as a whole. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You want to use that uh, when you consider all the other uh, industries that are listed on the LSE. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to have a very, very good look at um, sort of the nuts and bolts of it and, and see if there's potential there because I love it. I love I love the fact that esports is, I mean, it's a, it's a growth area. There's There's no doubt about how fast it's growing and the money that's going in behind it. I think we might have even talked about this a couple of weeks ago in a podcast where we were talking about celebrity investors and uh, you know, the money that they put into early stage opportunities. And, you know, one of the biggest um, companies that has drawn investment from celebrity investors and athletes and that sort of thing is a um, esports company out of all the other kinds of investments that, you know, you see these celebrities investing like Uber and stuff like that, you know, esports is one of the things that they're all pushing into and you've kind of got to, I mean, it, you, you, part of you, part of me thinks why, <laughs> well, you know, what do they know that we don't? And then part of me thinks, are they any smarter than we are, you know, or is, are they getting some sort of look in that from, from somebody else that we don't see, um, is it really an opportunity or is it really just kind of the thing that celebrities now do is to invest in esports companies? But you can't deny the growth in companies like Twitch um, and, and Steam, uh, you know, the growth in the, the amount of content that's delivered and viewed um, and the advertising revenue starts to get generated from now when it comes to streaming esports. Um, what lockdown showed us was that even when there is no sport, you can still have sport and, you know, the, you know, explosion of, of racing simulation and the viewers that they were getting and, and all these kinds of new ways of looking at how we can interact and compete in a virtual world. Um, it's a sign of what's, what's coming, you know, there's, you know, there's a, I think, again, I think we talked about it the other day is, is there's a great documentary on Netflix called high score. And I was watching a bit of it last night and, it was talking about the development of the Nintendo entertainment system and Donkey Kong and how that exploded. And it, and it, and it took me back, right. And it, I was watching it and I was thinking to myself, how cool would it have been to have had the foresight when I was what, 10 years old, not even 10 years old, less than that. Uh, when I was, you know, five or six, when these sorts of, you know, consoles like the Nintendo and stuff were coming out, how good would the foresight have been to invest in a company like Nintendo back then? And I think to myself now, my son is a year and a half. What are the, what are the companies today that I should be putting money aside for, for him that are the Nintendos of the next 30 years? If, if you kind of catch my drift, like there are yeah, going yeah. to be, there are going to be opportunities to, today and in the next five years for, for my son that, like when I was his age and that we were playing video games and all that sort of thing that become over the next 20, 30 years, the giants of, of industry and of this, this arena of, of, of gaming, of video gaming, of esports, whatever it might be. And it's sort of like, well, what, what are these big companies going to be? And maybe it's guild esports, you know, maybe it's not, but maybe it is. And that's the kind of thing that I think when you're an investor, you've got to keep this open long-term mindset about is that, you know, some of these, some of these big sort of trends around gaming and things like that, you know, we, throughout history, humans have always played games. We just, we, we play games. We love to compete and esports and video gaming is just one aspect of that. And it makes me sort of wonder that 
is this going to be something that's just going to fall away to the wayside? Well, every fiber in my body, the more I look at it, the more I analyze the market says, no, this is the start of a really long-term shift in how we compete with other people around the world. The fact that, you know, you could be in center parks, wherever you are in the forest. Now I can be here and my brother can be in Australia, but we can all play together and compete. So it's social and competitive and we can play a game together at once instantaneously. So I think it opens up a whole new world of, of opportunities to invest in and, and what might be, you know, the Nintendo of the eighties that exists somewhere in this realm, in the esports realm today. And that's the kind of one that you want to be able to pick out from the bunch to ride for the next sort of 30 years. And so I find it a really fascinating, exciting area to, to look at and invest in. Yeah. I mean, arguably, um, you know, if we, if we, if we take that as your base thesis, arguably now it's, you know, it's even more compelling because these companies uh, that are out there have survived there. Uh, you know, they have, they have greater, network capability in terms of the the number of potential users they can reach yeah uh, the uh, you know so the the incumbents have gr uh, you know greater pool that they can access while at the same time the existing guys uh, have greater access to capital now so uh, if anything the you know it's it, the the thesis is even more compelling i find it very hard to imagine a world in which video games are you know uh, diminish at all yeah exactly area. Exactly. It's very hard to imagine that unless, you know, we're about to see the rise of some kind of um, sort of Puritan revolt. Uh, you know, see, I don't think so. So like when, if you think well. about what, if you think about what the Nintendo entertainment system of today is, I, th uh, my, my view is that it's probably something in the realms of the VR world, right? Is that there's, there's some sort of one, there's a company out there that's doing sort of the VR platform or the immersive gaming and or augmented gaming. That's my, my, my take on it is that today that's the Nintendo of the eighties and that it's about just, you know, in the eighties, it was, you know, Atari, it was Commodore, it was Nintendo. It eventually became Sega. And so, you know, you, you had to still find the winner in that bunch, but I think, and I think, and there are options like that today around, you know, who's developing the kit, the, the consoles, the platforms, or even the connected games. So there's a lot to choose from, and it's just trying to figure out what the right one is. But then, I mean, at the same time, right? So there's there's even ETFs that that track this yeah, sort of thing as well. Yeah. Like I, I know there's there's the ESPO, uh, ESPO Van Eck uh, Gaming and Esports ETF, um, which I've uh, you know I'll fairly admit I've got a bit of a holding in, but you know it it's 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 there to specifically ride the rise in esports and gaming you know there's a there's a big exposure to the us and japan as sort of the two countries that really push and lead this area you know some of it's just the semiconductor companies like nvidia amd and so forth um but then there's you know smaller pockets of the investment in that etf to, that get there as well so there are there are ways to play this trend rather than just you know investing in david beckham's you know ipo for his esports league on the london stock exchange um, so it's, you know, there's a whole bunch of things to work that are worth looking at and, and, and how this sort of rolls out and plays out. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I guess the main counterpoint for me for that would be when it comes to the, you know, the VR angle is simply, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I'm very interested in what VR can offer. Um, it would simply be that there have been, uh, you know, people have been talking about VR being the future for, you know, decades now. 
I mean, they were talking about VR being the future in the 90s uh, and again, the 80s. And, and, and you yeah. know, it, we've yet to find the killer app, you know, the, the actual application that people really like, you know, that really catches on in a big way. But, you know, you know may, maybe it'll show up. Uh, but like I say, you know, the, it's very hard to imagine a world in the future that does not have a, you know, a significant, a significant video games industry. It's only if we finally get some kind of revolt against uh, video games and the like, uh, like a, as I was saying, sort of a la, you know, Oliver Cromwell, Puritan uh, revolt, <laughs> yeah. uh, where, where that would be the case. And maybe that is true. I mean, there is a, it's probably a, a, a subject for another podcast now that we're getting on in time. But you know, there's, um, the, there's a lot of demand for, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, non-smartphone, uh, well, not, not non-smartphones, but, uh, you know, the old brick, you know, Nokia bricks, uh, you know, they re-released the original Nokia brick with the new one simply because there was enough demand for it. You know, some people don't want smartphones anymore. They want to unplug from things. Uh, and you know, somewhat <laughs> in a way that I have, where I've not actually been paying attention to any of my uh, sort of yeah. smart apps. It probably overall. feels good. Yeah, right. So I mean, there is a, there is, there is definitely some, there is some kind of uh, movement towards being less connected to each other, which at the same time would probably mean playing less video games with each other. Um, and maybe, maybe you'll see some kind of more militant, extreme uh, expression of that. Uh, in the years to come, but you know, that, I think that's the only that's the only thing I can imagine which would actually really whack the video games industry very hard. Uh, you know, even after, even in uh, through two thousand eight, you know, after the the financial crisis, yeah, uh, it, it, this didn't pose actually a problem for the video games industry at all. They yeah. all prospered through it. But it'll only be through some kind of social revolt where people are like, actually, you know, screens are what's been making us all go crazy. Um, so actually, we should we could use with you know we could use less screens. We actually shouldn't be looking at a screen very often at all, and uh, we should actually just be going out, you know, speaking to real people, and uh, and you know communicating in the more traditional manner. Yep. But you know who knows. Uh, however, we are we are getting on for time somewhat. So Sam, True. Uh, I would like you to give us a a review of our of nine bars. Hmm. Um. Tricky one. It's I I've enjoyed this quite a lot, uh, but it hasn't really rocked my world. It's um, again, it's it, it's a it's an eight percent, so it's pretty strong, but doesn't necessarily feel that strong, at least for me. Um, but I don't I, I don't I don't think it's something that I'd probably want to have more than maybe one or two with. Um, weird. It, it's got got a bit of a for me, at least, it has a kind of almost bit of a chocolatey, smoky kind of taste to it, um, which I don't think I necessarily enjoy with my beer. I don't mind it with my whiskey. Um, maybe we should start drinking whiskey, mate. <laughs> but um, nonetheless, uh, I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't, wasn't, you know, I don't think it was anything to write home about. I would give this just a solid B rating. Yeah, well, you know, B is actually pretty good. In it is. Rating. It is a very good rating, still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if uh, if you've made it to B, I mean, I would, uh, you know, I would definitely drink it again. Um, yeah, I would say uh, this is pretty good. Eight uh, percent does not taste eight no. percent. It tastes quite sweet, quite light, uh, while at the same time being 
uh, kind of Belgian in taste. If this was mm. an actual Belgian beer and it had been 8%, I think it would actually have tasted a lot heavier from the Belgian beers that I've had that do reach that figure. It's normally there are lower ones like the 6% that would, that would taste as light and citrusy as this. So I think it's quite an achievement that they've managed to make. Um, well, the, yeah, and this is a collaboration, but they've managed to make some of this 8%. Tastes Belgian, but it's actually uh, it tastes sweeter than you know Belgian beer that managed to make that uh, make that grade. Uh, I would give the I would give this a I think I would give maybe a B plus a B plus for this one. It's something I could definitely have again. Not too heavy for me at least, uh, and maybe because uh, you know we've definitely had some kind of change in pressure where your one blew up, Sam, but mine yeah, was. Uh, actually find a find a pour so there's maybe maybe a difference there but maybe there's something in the way that the the temperature storage of this because because mine was quite chilled when i started when when i opened it and when i drank it so um, maybe yeah, there yeah. is something in the in the, the way in the temperature in which these are stored too yeah mine was just in the fridge since this morning um and it, and it was stored horizontally in fact which may have had something to do with it but i'm not a uh, not a beer plumber so i wouldn't know the uh, wouldn't know all the ins and outs however i would give it a b plus uh, good to me uh, and a nice label as well so uh, uh, very uh, very satisfying it's interesting we've i think this is the first podcast we've done where it's uh, it's only been eight percent all the way around um but now uh, this was uh, yeah it's a good one nine bars and uh, quite satisfying so sam do you have any uh, closing comments for today's podcast uh no not really i think you know it's 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 again it's been just another crazy sort of interesting week you've you've uh you've picked a good week to just go and go off grid for a while and, and i think that's what i might actually do over this weekend which uh, <laughs> is just go off grid and come back and refresh for next week but uh, a couple of good beers a couple of decent beers there uh today and uh fun times in the market and maybe we should start drinking whiskey at some point on this podcast but that's all i've got to add <laughs> oh, definitely. definitely i'm uh, i'm all up for that uh in, in you know funnily enough i'm actually uh i've actually been uh, there's been a fair amount of uh, whiskey transactions taking place uh, while i've been on holiday various people claiming claiming a share of my whiskey and uh, me allotting it to to various parties uh, but no i think uh, i think whiskey would be would be a good one to uh, to discuss on this it would probably still fall into our same rating system as it's uh, yep, very definitely. very elastic while complex but yeah, I think that sums up uh, our, our 14th podcast. So Sam, I think we'll uh, we'll cut it there. And if you're listening to this, hope you're having a uh, having a good weekend. And uh, we shall see you in episode 15 coming up.